The Daily 202 podcast is brought to you by Facebook. At Facebook, we continue to take steps to better secure our platforms. What's next? We support updated internet regulations to set new standards for data portability, privacy, and elections. Learn more at about.fb.com slash regulation. Good morning, I'm Reese Tebow with The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202. It's Wednesday, September 2nd. James is out, but I'm with you for the day's top headlines. Here are three stories you should know about. First up, President Trump on Tuesday inserted himself into a city already roiled by the police shooting of an unarmed black man. Using a trip to Kenosha, Wisconsin to highlight his hard-edge law and order message and press what he views as a political advantage over Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. My colleagues Ashley Parker, Robert Klemko, and Mark Guarino report that Trump was unwelcomed by local officials, including the city's Democratic mayor and the state's Democratic governor, but he was hailed by others. The president traveled with an entourage that included Attorney General William Barr, and they descended on the city for a campaign-style journey that included a visit to businesses destroyed in rioting and meetings with law enforcement officials. At an event focused on community safety near the end of his visit, Trump said Kenosha had been, quote, ravaged by anti-police and anti-American riots, and he vowed to stand firmly with law enforcement. Trump did not meet with the family of 29-year-old Jacob Blake, the black man who was shot in the back seven times by a white police officer in Kenosha last week. Asked whether he had anything he would like to say to Trump, Blake's uncle, Justin Blake, referred to the president as the orange man and asked him to, quote, keep his disrespect and his foul language far away from our family. Trump's trip to Wisconsin, where he won in 2016, was as much political as it was presidential, offering a glimpse of Trump's strategy for defeating Biden and of his role as the incendiary leader of a divided nation. During his visit, Trump said he doesn't believe there is systemic racism in law enforcement, and he refused to answer when asked whether systemic racism is a broader issue in the country. And up next, a story from my colleague, Tony Ron. On Tuesday, the Trump administration announced a four-month halt on eviction proceedings against cash-strapped renters, invoking federal public health laws out of concern that a national homelessness crisis could worsen the country's coronavirus outbreak. The new moratorium seeks to cover families experiencing financial hardship as a result of the pandemic, and it aims to help as many as 40 million Americans who are already struggling to pay their monthly housing costs in the midst of the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. The policy comes roughly a month after President Trump signed an executive order to explore ways to protect renters as talks broke down on Capitol Hill over a new round of coronavirus relief. A spokesman for the White House said the goal has been to ensure that families struggling to pay rent due to the coronavirus will not have to worry about being evicted. But the moratorium stops short of what some Democratic lawmakers and housing experts say is necessary. For one thing, the Trump administration did not set aside any new federal dollars for renters, who eventually will owe what may be sky-high past-due balances. Nor did it earmark new money for landlords who might face financial struggles of their own. 
Lawmakers included a 120-day federal eviction moratorium as part of the $2 trillion CARES Act they passed in March. The protections offered an early reprieve for a more limited category of renters in federally financed buildings, as well as some homeowners, as the pandemic upended the job market, leaving millions of Americans unexpectedly out of work. But the protections did not go as far as what some housing advocates sought by failing to provide more assistance to help with missed payments. The eviction moratorium expired at the end of July, along with other programs, including the government's expanded unemployment payments, creating the conditions for what some experts described as a massive housing crisis. And our last story comes from Laura Riley, reporting from the Bread Isle. Contactless shopping and no more free samples. Less browsing and more focus on expedient repurchasing. These are the ways the coronavirus has changed how Americans buy groceries. The pandemic has altered what products people purchase, when and where, who is buying them, and how much time is devoted to the endeavor. Americans are spending more, yet increasingly, they are being offered fewer choices, both online and in person, slowing a years-long trend toward innovations that put good-for-you and environmentally friendly spins on established and much-loved products. The winnowing, what one expert calls a Soviet-ish reduction of choice, is also solidifying eating patterns, for good or for ill. With customer selections reinforced by online advertising and ordering algorithms, the food system is becoming bifurcated as consumers who have expressed enthusiasm for artisanal foods are offered more of the same, while those with a penchant for highly processed comfort foods are inundated with opportunities to restock. Experts say the pandemic has heightened disparities in shopping patterns and in health between high- and low-income Americans. The Great Eating Divide is an unexpected result of changes set in motion by the shutdown of restaurants and the retreat to home kitchens, which have led consumers to spend significantly more on groceries than they did last year. The monthly grocery bill for the average American household spiked to $525 in March, up 30% over last year as dollars pivoted from restaurant meals to home and people snapped up items in bulk. By July, it had settled to about $455 a month, still up 10% over the same month last year. According to one report, many consumers are increasing the amount of money spent per trip and simultaneously decreasing the amount of time spent in the store. Shoppers are more likely to have a list of critical, tried-and-true items and are less inclined to browse and let serendipity guide them to something new. And, the report says, more men are claiming to be the primary shopper during the pandemic, and they shop differently. The data shows men tend to favor efficiency, shopping club stores for bulk purchases, convenience stores, and online. They report making fewer, larger, quicker trips for a narrower range of items. Grocery stores, marking these behavioral changes, have chosen to focus more on restocking their top-selling 1,000 items, things like Barilla Pasta, Tide, and Oreos. That's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, September 2nd. Thank you for listening, stay safe, and I'll be back with you tomorrow. Thank you.
The Daily 202 podcast is brought to you by Facebook. At Facebook, we continue to take steps to better secure our platforms. What's next? We support updated internet regulations to set new standards for data portability, privacy, and elections. Learn more at about.fb.com slash regulation.